I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3. It's time to make some picks. And again, I'm going to start... Tonight's show with the same disclaimer I started last night's show with. I do not want to hear anybody complaining about the slate this weekend. Because, one, cherish every college football weekend. But, two, when we see weekends like this where it doesn't look like there's a lot of ranked-on-ranked matchups, where there's a lot of big home underdogs and conference games, that's when the weird stuff happens. So, something will happen this Saturday that makes us go, oh, my God, I can't – I." Who could have predicted it? Well, we're going to bring on a guy who probably could predict it. Parker Fleming is a data scientist. He works at Sumer Sports, but also on the side does all this incredible college football stuff. CFB graphs. You can go there and, and look at his, his advanced metric previews. He's Stats of War is his handle on Twitter. And it's just, Parker, where, do you ever sleep? Uh, yeah, yeah, plenty, plenty. I, I, uh, you know, automated these things while I was procrastinating in grad school. And so a lot of this stuff is in the background and I spent a lot of time that I should have been working on my dissertation, working on this, but, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to get to play around with college football data and very fortunate that I've, I've built up a skill set where I can think, Hey, I wonder about this weird idea. Let me go look it up and put a graph out about it. Well, one, one thing I love about we're, we're doing a different guest picker every week. So we, we've really run the gamut so far. So our first week was Ari Wasserman who is the type of gambler that if he sees two snails on the ground, he will put action on which one will hit the next line in the sidewalk first. And so all guts, you know, just I'm feeling it now. That's what I'm doing. And then last week, Jacob Hester, former fullback, sees the world through those eyes, you know, and and now we've got someone who crunches the data and we're going to talk about success rate. We're going to talk about EPA, that sort of thing that, you know, this is what teams are also using and, and, and using them to, to figure out how best to deploy their talent and how to attack other teams. Yeah, absolutely. And Andy, I will say I like the numbers, but I, I'll consult with the divine spirits about a wager or two and, and, and get some vibes as well. So I can certainly empathize with that. We have some games this week where I think you're going to have to, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, just just looking at the slate, like with Washington and Michigan State, because of all the weirdness we'll probably have to adjust our, our feelings on that beyond the numbers, but that, but you're right. That is, that is what makes this fun is you can't always predict it by number. Um, you know, if you look in the chat, we, we have somebody who uh, came out with just saying that uh, the sec is, is completely overrated. And, and now it's shown this uh, sec fans have been brainwashed by the media in the flawed BCS era led to tainted titles. Uh, Big 12 schools roasted the ACC. Hold on. Where is it? Uh, he mentions TCU. TCU just put up 50 on Ole Miss. Uh, conveniently leaves out the last time TCU played an SEC team. But this is, <laughs> did, this is the did, sort of passion that we have. <laughs> Fort Worth was on vacation all of that week. No one, no one was there. <laughs> well, that's another, that's another game that I, I can't wait to talk about because 
it's a weird one because it's Houston's first Big 12 game. And and we saw Houston go down 28 nothing to Rice last week. So we should we think we should know what happened, what's gonna happen. We don't. So that's that's the beauty of this. But so Parker, how did you you know w- when you go into data science, how do you figure out that you're gonna get into sports? So the company you work for is is Thomas Dimitrov's company. He's the former GM of the Falcons who put together that team that went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. So really, really fun, great crew, a bunch of folks who are um, really football minded and analytically minded. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to uh, to come on board there and work on their consumer side that we're building out some tools for for the public to help, um, you know, some some great resources for fantasy football, for uh, understanding games, for stats, for reports, all that fun stuff that I do for college. We're going to be doing that with Sumer for the NFL and for college as well. Um, I, I didn't go into data science, frankly. I kind of taught myself along the way. I was a religion major undergrad and uh, <laughs> took some math classes uh, in grad school and decided to go get a grad degree in economics. And uh, the math was super boring to me. And the only way that I could make it stick in my brain was to start to think about football. Obviously, guys like Bill Conley, Brian Fremo, Aaron Schatz at uh, Football Outsiders, who gave me a gave me a shot to write for them for a little bit. And uh, just kind of you know, asking and answering interesting questions along the way and, and kind of teaching myself what I needed. And uh, it, it, it turned out pretty well for me. Brian Fremal. I love I love any site that starts with points per drive. You go to his homepage. First thing you see is points per drive. One of my favorite stats in the whole wide world. So this is this is so much. So religion major wait, was, was the ministry the first thought or? Wow. Sort of. Maybe maybe coming out of high school, thought about that. But I went to I went to TCU undergrad and their um, religion department is like world religion, uh, kind of mm-hmm. contemporary. And so I studied like even history of evangelicalism, New Testament, thought about academic route that way. Um, wrote, yeah, wrote a bunch about Paul in the early church, but uh, decided ultimately to go back for, for economics and, uh, and and get a grad degree there. Beautiful. Well, this this is going to be fun. I, I can't wait to go through some of these games. Uh, we are going to be going with lines provided by our partners at FanDuel. And uh, it is the number one sports book in America. And right now, you go to FanDuel.com slash Staples. You bet $5. If you're a new customer, guaranteed $200 in bonus bets. You bet $5. If you are any customer, you could be an existing customer or a new customer, you get 100 bucks off NFL Sunday ticket on YouTube or YouTube TV. It's so easy. I was cruising through the FanDuel app today. Some of the stuff in the morning has changed. Uh, it, it's it's the backyard brawl flipped on us today. So it's one of those you can you can look at all times and obviously anything you want to wager on, they've got it in any state where it's legal. So FanDuel.com slash staples. New customers bet five, get 200 in guaranteed bonus bets. And all customers bet five, get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket. Let's get going i i want to start with some of these home underdogs parker because that is that is the thing that i i jumped out at me this weekend that home underdogs in conference games where the spreads are are actually fairly large so let, let's let's start with with one of those noon central game or noon eastern games is a 11 a.m central kickoff here in stark vegas lsu at mississippi state it's a nine and a half point spread right now. LSU is a nine and a half point favorite on the road. What do you think about this game? I've got this one just inside of a touchdown. I was a little bit underwhelmed with Mississippi State last week. Um, not not from the overall performance. Thought they started well, but really just couldn't put away an Arizona team that I think that they're uh, you know demonstrably 
Uh, sh should have been demonstrably better on the field. Obviously, we saw the result, and it was pretty close there. Um, definitely worried about Mississippi State's offensive identity. Um, again, in, in the beginning of the season, I'm a little bit more conservative. I regress these, these numbers to the mean. But uh, Mississippi State, 81st in offensive EPA per play. Uh, 34th on the defensive side. We know Zach Garnett has that side of the ball down. But really going to need to see more out of this offense against an LSU defense that, as you know, Brian Kelly said he was concerned about at the beginning of the season. I think that's something I've been watching for them is that LSU defense. The numbers are not great. 132nd in raw EPA per play. Uh, again, that's just a descriptive metric. Obviously, they're not the 132nd worst defense in the nation, but haven't played super great. Um, and as well, when I when I look at Jalen Daniels specifically, I'm worried about his ability to handle pressure. His pressure to sack ratio this season is 22.7%. Last year was over 30. When he's pressured, he does not make good decisions and, and, and does take a lot of sacks, even being that mobile with moving the ball consistently and, and being able to run with his legs so much. So I'm really interested in can Mississippi State disrupt with pressure um, if they're going to keep this thing within, you know, and, and, and cover, which I slightly have with the numbers here, it's going to involve making Jaden Daniels very uncomfortable and minimizing the stakes on offense. So my, my thing on this is uh... – you mentioned Mississippi State's offense. I think they're trying to find themselves offensively. This is all so new. Will Rogers attempted 17 passes last week, which is wild. I, I, I have to look up what his lowest attempted pass total under Mike Leach was, but I'm sure it's probably in the high 30s, and that's because he got taken out because they were in a blowout. So this is such a different world for them. And as far as LSU – I, I, it's hard for me, Parker, because I was at that FSU game. I saw them get worn down defensively, and the really because Florida State kept kept trying the run. It didn't really work very well at first. They were they were always successful through the air, but the run game didn't work at first. But then they wore them out as the game went on and just demolished them in the second half. I think Mississippi State probably will keep that up. I, this, this doesn't seem under Tony Barbet, like an offense that's going to abandon the run. And obviously, if it were the late Pirate, he probably wouldn't be running at all. So, <laughs> the, the, yeah. And then one other piece of it that I'm curious about, because, again, I, I keep framing it with that, that Florida State game because there's, there's only so much you can take from Grambling. But Logan Diggs played against Grambling, and he didn't play against Florida State. And it felt like LSU's run game was Jaden Daniels' scramble-based against Florida State. That was pretty much all they could succeed with. Logan Diggs feels like he gives them a little more option in a run game. Yeah, absolutely. And Mississippi State's defense relatively worse against the rush in the past. 25th in EPA per pass, 65th in EPA per rush. One other thing that I'm interested in looking at um, this game is, is I think, Andy, a lot about gravity on the field. And, mm -hmm. you know, Johnny Wilson at, at Florida State, absolute dude. They bring in Keon Coleman, and they have two guys that can really spread you out. Mississippi State's second leading receiver is Jaquavius Marks, uh, yeah. a running back. And, and, and really, if you're trying to stretch a team out, you need a second option. I don't know who's going to emerge out of these this, this second tier of Mississippi State wide receiver to put a credible second threat on that LSU defense. Because if you can't be multidimensional, they're going to be able to key in. They're going to be able to sit back and say, we'll defend the run and make Will Rogers meet us, uh, beat us with passes he's not comfortable making so uh, i think lsu can dictate a lot of the pace here if they can button up kind of that second tier of mississippi state receiver who hasn't emerged as a single guy yet that's where that's where mississippi state really misses rara thomas who's at georgia now who was the type of guy who could stretch the field and and would have been as a sophomore you know kind of yeah. coming into his own for them so all right let, let's 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 put it down 
who you got? I think that I'm going to trust my number here and I'm going to take the home dog and go with Mississippi State. Didn't, didn't love what I saw last week, but I think they can get a, a get right game here and I think they can keep it within striking distance. I, I agree. I, I'm tempted to say Mississippi State wins outright, but I don't feel that confident in them. But I do feel like that's a big number. So I will take nine and a half points if you're going to give them to me. So I also will take Mississippi State to cover. Uh, yeah, that's I, that's one that kind of popped off the page to me when I saw it. I, I just like, okay, I thought this might be a six point spread, but nine yep. and a half. I'm I'm taking that one. And that's one that when people complain, you mentioned this earlier. When people complain about the slate this week, you can just point at this game and say like interdivisional rivalry, beefy matchup. We're going to learn a lot about both teams. Love yeah. it. Yeah, 11 a.m. local kick, like which. Again, there are different schools of thought on how who that affects more, whether it's the home team or the road team. But I'm telling you, thousands of cowbells at 11 a.m. do not feel good on the ears. So <laughs> hopefully LSU players get a good night's sleep because that is going to be unpleasant. All right, let's stay on this theme. This is an even bigger number for an in-conference game with a team that had a bad week last week but was pretty good last year against a team that I think is going to be one of the better teams in the country this year. Penn State at Illinois. Penn State's a 14.5-point favorite going into Champaign. Most of us watched, because we're psychos, the, the Illinois-Kansas game on a Friday. Uh, Jalen Daniels just tore up Illinois' defense, which is a little surprising to me because they have some good defensive line. Like, Johnny Newton is a dude in there. But Jalen Daniels made it look easy. And then I, I felt like Illinois really couldn't do – they weren't doing with Luke Altmaier what you can do with him. It felt like they were going – they are throwing at the sideline for most of the game. They finally start throwing down the middle, and it was like, bing, 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 touchdown. And then, and then there was a great Luke Altmaier run when the game had already been decided. But I'm thinking you got to kind of unleash this guy if you're going to have a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I think Luke Altmaier is kind of like a computer, does very well with very clear if-then statements, right? If this read's not there, bail. That's the big the big run was on a, you know, it was just in an RPO with a draw there. And when he's forced to make multiple reads, I think things really get away from him on that offense. On the defensive side, we knew they were going to take a step back. We knew that with losing Ryan Walters, losing multiple NFL draft picks, we knew they're going to take a step back. I'm not sure we really expected it to bottom out like it is. 124th in EPA per play this week. Uh, one thing I'm looking at with Jalen Daniels and his performance against them last week, 46.9% of his dropbacks were play action, completed 78.6% of those, 8.4 yards per yards per uh, attempt and, and two of his touchdowns there. So really, really well, well put together game by Lance Leipold against an Illinois defense that struggles on the back end. You talk about, or I talked about gravity earlier. You mm -hmm. lose guys in the defensive backfield. It doesn't matter if your defensive line is really, really good. If you don't have guys back there, they're still going to be able to find holes. So I think that's a really big issue. I'm much less charitable to uh, the uh, Illinois as a home dog here than I am for Mississippi State. I think Penn State, very, very consistent team, very physical team, run the ball well, pass the ball well. Uh, want to see a little bit stouter run defense, but I think West Virginia is a better rushing attack than, than most people realize. Uh, I think Illinois should, should win this pretty handily. So here, here's my thing about Penn State in this one. I want to see if how, how different Penn State with Drew Aller is from Penn State with Sean Clifford. And I feel like this is the kind of game that can reveal that. Because Sean Clifford, Penn State offense, they come in, they probably fart around a little bit. They probably win this game by, by six or seven points. If Drew Aller is what we think he is, 
which is the super high ceiling potential to make it, their offense very dynamic, then they blow Illinois off the field. That's what I think is going to happen. I, I so I think we're in agreement that Penn State covers this one, and it, it might not be that might not be that hard. Now, the last time they met, they did play nine overtimes in Illinois one, but it's yeah, that was a while back. Yeah, and and um, I, I think really it does come down to what Luke Altmaier will be able to do. You know, Reggie Love in their in Illinois' first game had I think three and a half yards after contact. Uh, I don't think you're going to get away with that against Penn State. Altmaier is going to have to face a defensive secondary that's as smart as he is that can really mess up those those um, reads as well. So I'm not optimistic about Illinois moving the ball well. And I think if Penn State comes out with that killer instinct, they should put this game away early. So matchup near and dear to your heart. We go to Houston's first Big 12 game. The Horned Frogs will welcome the Cougars to the conference. Houston is a seven and a half point dog in this game. TCU, the world saw them get depantsed by Colorado. That's the the last image we we recall of TCU. Houston, Dana Holgerson apologizing to everyone after the uh, the Rice loss in double overtime. So, so something's got to get like somebody's got to get right in this game. Yeah, you, you're, you're happy to have this one on your schedule for, for both of these teams, I think, to have an opportunity to get a get-right game because uh, some some bad performances uh, from, from both of these teams. I think the TCU defense, we know that they lost D. Winters and Dylan Horton and Trevious Hodges-Tomlinson. Um, and those three together, I mean, just take away so much from your defense. Those three covered up so many holes on this defense. People want to say, oh, the stack's not good. And and I don't think it's the the personnel grouping that's out on the field, you know, how they're lining up. I think it's the fact that you don't have a guy like Dylan Horton who's so athletic and can make quarterbacks really really uncomfortable. Donovan Smith, another mobile quarterback, a big old bowling ball kind of a guy. And uh, TCU let Shador Sanders have 4.18 seconds to throw on pressure dropbacks. Can't do that against Donovan Smith. You got to get to him a lot earlier. You got to take away that threat. You got to force him to make a read. Um, on the other side of the ball for TCU, Chandler Morris doesn't look great. Um, their, their play calling in the red zone is predictably not great. Um, and I think that they have some athletes at the wide receiver room, but we've yet to see the vision come together for how those athletes are going to work on the field. Uh, that being said, TCU's offensive line lost a couple good players in Alan, uh, excuse me, in Alana Lee and Steve Avila. So that is definitely a weakness. I think t- uh, Houston's defense, uh, not, not as bad as maybe it looked in the Rice game. I think they're sleepwalking a little bit. That was what I would call the strength of the team. I'm looking for how much Matthew Golden can exploit this TCU defense. Can we get a Smith to Golden big play or two? That's really what Houston's trying to count on early to really spread this TCU defense out. Currently, with that performance to Colorado, TCU is 128 in EPA per pass on defense. Well, and and this is interesting because, you know, Dana mentioned this in his press conference after the Rice game. He said, maybe they're too excited about opening big 12 play against TCU. It's it's an excuse, but it also might be real. It, it might be that they were overlooking rice and looking ahead to this. This is a big deal for this school. And I'm sure the players have been told about how big of a deal it is by everybody they see on campus. So this is, this is one I I'm sure they've had circled. I suspect they will play better than what we've seen. And I'm still not completely confused well i'm a little confused after the way they beat utsa and then we saw utsa beat texas state so i know the transitive property doesn't work here but i think houston might be a little better than we're giving them credit for and they just fell asleep against rice 
Yeah, I think I think what I said about this game earlier was like they just didn't show up until too late. They just got there after the uh, after the meal had been served and and, and couldn't recover. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, it is it's it's a cliche thing for a coach to say, hey, we're we're you know we're tanking this for next week, right? Like we're you know we we were focused on the next matchup and we got it. And, and you look at Kansas State in 2022, for instance, they they got stuck in the two lane game. They didn't they they sold out to beat Oklahoma. And it worked uh, and all's well that ends well, but they did lose a game that they probably should have won because they didn't prep for it. Um, and, and and so there is some argument to that. That being said, you look at some of the market fundamentals with Houston and you think, okay, are you just going to flip a switch on and make Frank Harris throw three interceptions in a row, do something absolutely bizarre that he's never done? Is that how you're going to win a game here? So I think that that UTSA game should have gone the other way. Uh, my numbers have this by about four four and a half i'm actually going to disagree with them and i'm going to take tcu as the uh to, to cover here i i think that houston relied on way too much luck to even be in that utsa game well also frank harris is hurt that that's that's the other yeah. piece of it so that that makes a difference that said i agree with all your logic and i'm gonna say that houston just gets really excited and covers this spread i don't know if they're gonna win this game but i'm gonna say they're excited. They're in the Big 12. It's it's a huge moment. I, I this is the, this first game of the Big 12. I've been looking at the different new schools and 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 where they where they enter. So like Cincinnati gets Oklahoma at home next week. UCF goes to Kansas State next week. That like those are tricky games for the team you think should win just mm -hmm. because of that factor. So I am going to take Houston to cover. So we, we finally disagree on one. This I like is, it. I like this it. This is good. It's about time. Oh, by the way, I do need to plug your podcast. It's called Never Punt, Never Parlay, where all your podcasts are available. Go get that one. Uh, puts you on Kirk Ferentz's enemies list, but that's okay. <laughs> well, if you had, if you looked at my Twitter this week, I think Iowa's the, the entire state of Iowa has has put me on a list there. Yeah, that's uh, that's part of the Hammer Network. You can get that on Tuesdays, uh, and then I'll plug just really quickly the BetUS podcast is Tuesdays mm -hmm. and Wednesdays as well. Get that on YouTube, BetUS College Football Show over there with Gary and Kyle. It's a fun time. Awesome. Well, we have a trio of rivalry games to pick when we come back, but first we're going to talk about bird dogs. We'll be right back with more picks, but first, I got to tell you about bird dogs. You've been listening to the show. You know I am a man who likes to live a life of efficiency. I like pants that already have the underwear included. That's right. Those are the fart Garfunkels. Some of my favorite shorts from bird dogs, and I've also got the Stephen Jobs when I need to wear actual pants to something where I need to look respectable. Also got polos now at Bird Dogs, the Fidel Bass Pro, looking great. But the lower torso is where they really shine, where they really do their finest work. These pants were made to fit you. They're not too big. They're not too billowy. They're not too tight. They are just perfect. So get yourself some Bird Dogs. Shorts, joggers, pants, doesn't matter. Get them all. You will never want to wear another pair of pants. If you go to birddogs.com slash staples or use the promo code staples, you will get a free hydroflask style bottle with your order. So that's birddogs.com slash staples. Use the code staples. Get the pants that feel like they were made just for you. Bird dogs. Birddogs.com. Staples is your code. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back. So, we got some rivalry games now. We will start with the one that I will be covering in person because it is only a few miles from my house. But it is uh, of, of radical significance to the local community and also to the visiting team because Tennessee has not won at Florida since 2003. Yes, we all remember the big Casey Clawson to James Banks Hail Mary at the end of the first half. I don't think anybody remembers that. But that happened, and it did set up the win for Tennessee over a Ron Zook-led Gators team. So, six-and-a-half-point underdog, Florida at home in a game that Billy Napier needs. We had Nick Delatore from Gators Online on the show yesterday. He explained that this is probably the most winnable of Florida's rivalry games. Uh, Billy Napier went 0 for the rivalry games last year. If you want to have the, the rivals be Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida State, 0-3. If you want to add LSU into that, it's 0-4. So, this looks like the easiest one, and it's not easy, of all of those this year, too. Parker, what do you think about this one? Uh, the, the first thought that jumps out at me here is, Joe Melton, where are the deep balls, my man? We talked about it all offseason. We talked about the arm strength. I saw you throw that orange. You've thrown nine deep balls, and eight of them have been over the middle of the field. That's not the PI outside. Go get it. Either it's a touchdown or we get 15 with the flag offense that we've come to expect out of, out of hypo there. So uh, I need to see more downfield from, uh, from Joe Milton here. And I'm wondering if Tennessee is not uh, an example of maybe holding the little things back, knowing that they have this game early here, looking at the preview, Florida's defense, 76th in EPA per rush. That does include some scrambles against that Utah team. Uh, 72nd in EPA per pass. So not much better there either way. One thing that I'm really looking at, Florida's good at the success rate, right? Again, I'm a little bit more conservative early with those success rate numbers. We regress those to the mean, but Florida doing all right with the information we have, but they're allowing the big play. That's what's wrong with the EPA. When we have that EPA higher than success rate, it means giving up those big plays. So I'm really interested in how Florida's defense can stand up if Tennessee's going to test them, if Tennessee's going to try to spread them out and put them in that PI or TD kind of scenario there. Um, on the other side, I don't know what to make of Graham Mertz. A lot of big volume numbers, but if you look at that, he was down three scores and uh, most of those yards, I think 60% of those yards came in the last three drives of the uh, uh, of the game against Utah there. So a lot of that was kind of losing effort, just putting up some stats. I'm not really optimistic about it. 23rd in EPA per rush, 74th in EPA per pass for Florida. Um, I, I really am not sure they're going to be able uh, to score enough to really outpace themselves if this Tennessee offense can get into that high gear. That being said, the voodoo of the swamp is is not it's not something that you can you can mitigate, you can forget about, you can just write off. We know that in a rivalry game, especially with Billy Napier needing it, there, there's going to be a lot of competition here. Yeah, I, I can just I can tell you how the fan base feels based on just living in this town and hearing people talk. They're basically putting all their eggs into this basket, and as as a lady at the gym put it today to, to somebody else. She was working out and I'm, I'm eavesdropping. She says, well, it's either we're going to be really happy or I'm going to see you next year. 
And that's <laughs> probably sums up the whole vibe in Gainesville. And I, with Joe Milton, it's interesting because I, I think the lack of deep balls, I, I agree it may be a little holding some stuff back, but it also may be a little fear of him airmailing some things. And then you get into bad down or distance situations when you can run the ball pretty well against Austin P and against Virginia. So just stay ahead of the sticks if you can. And actually they were pretty inaccurate early in the Austin P game. I think he was one for his first 11. So that's the part I think for Tennessee fans, that is the fear is he's going to have that, that egg laying game where he's missing open receivers or he's overthrowing and there's a, you know, a safety sitting back there ready to intercept it. I think that's the, the big fear. And this will be a, a chance for him to show that he can do that in a hostile environment. And, you know, it was where I, I had completely forgotten about this. Graham Mertz and Joe Milton have started against one another before. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 2020 in Michigan Stadium in front of 600 people. <laughs> what, so a weird, what a weird year forever like yeah that's that's um that's wild and uh, yeah it's crazy it's testament what the, the sec's become where they're trying to you know get these guys on the second you know in their in their second act there um that's really really funny i hadn't i i, I hadn't put together that the, that they had started there i had completely um, forgotten it i had memory hold that whole yeah. thing i i remember graham mertz's first game the the one on the friday night when they you know they're just opening big 10 play and he was almost perfect. I think he only had one incompletion. But then the rest of that season for him was a nightmare. And, and yeah, Joe, uh, same thing. Game day the next week said, and I won't I won't point any fingers at anyone. Game day the next week said, is it more likely that Graham Mertz gets benched or wins the Heisman? And multiple people said wins the Heisman. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Well, they did, what a time. they did have like half the people picking TCU in the national title game last year, too. So <laughs> sometimes you just got to start a conversation. Exactly. We're just out here making content. I get it. I respect it. Absolutely. Um, I am also worried a little bit about Tennessee's receivers. Uh, just take it back to the game there, too. You lose yeah. Hyatt, you lose Tillman, and it's not like they have bad players there. You know, Squirrel White and Brew McCoy are, are, are fine. Uh, 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 Keaton has gotten uh, the third most targets there. Those guys are kind of far and away. But, uh, you know, you do need dudes in the hypo offense. You need guys who can go up, who can position their body, control their body well, and really uh, challenge. And so we've, we've got to see that from these guys. An unproven group for Tennessee. If things are going wrong, it's because Joe Melton's not accurate. It's because these wide receivers aren't creating separation. Yeah, and I don't know if anybody from Florida can get to Joe Milton. That's the other thing is, is Florida's pass rush – it may be the young guys have to come for like Kelby Collins, who's a freshman. He's played some, some snaps so far, but he may need to be the guy that, that emerges because they don't really have the, in the veteran ranks, they don't really have anybody who's special off the edge. He could be based on recruiting hype measurables, all that stuff. And, and what little we've seen so far, but they need something like that. Meanwhile, Tennessee is very fast off the edge on defense and, has been very disruptive so far. And that is is should scare Florida into trying to establish the run and not abandoning it. Because that was, I, I think, one of the more frustrating things to watch in the Utah game was they couldn't get anything going on the ground and essentially turn the screen game into the run game. And that was, I mean, when you're playing as Kyle Whittingham, he, he sees right through that. 
Yeah, because yeah, with the screen, a lot of times you're hoping maybe I can just get an angle to make a play and and then I'll get this defender to not make a sound fundamental tackle. And I'm here to tell you that that's not a that's not a plus EV bet for for against the Kyle Whittingham team there. Um, and I love that. I love that point, Andy. I think that's one thing I've really gotten from like, you know, talking to coaches and, and, and really learning about college football a little bit more is the substitution aspect between the screen and the run game is so important to look at. Those aren't passes. Those are those are designed runs uh, that are just a little different. If Florida has to. Um, if Florida has to go out that way because of pressure or because of uh, they can't get the running game, I'm really worried about it. Grant Mertz, 38.5% pressure to sack ratio. He can get disrupted so easily. If Florida gets off their game plan, really, what is your recourse? Yeah. Another thing Nick Del Torre reminded us of, and I, I think this is really interesting, you know, Florida has not yet played a team that goes lightning fast like Tennessee does. Florida's rotated a ton of guys in on defense, and that's been helpful because they don't have that special talent. They need to get the younger guys reps. They need to find out if any of them are going to be special, but I, they, they have their noses are 360 pounds and 440 pounds. And if one of them gets stuck on the field and can't get off, that's two plays and they're done. Like yeah. if, if yeah. you run six plays in a row, four of those are going to be 11 on 10. Yep, definitely, definitely a consideration there. Getting the getting the big boys out, and uh, I mean, it's not like Tennessee's run game has been, um, you know, bad at, at all. They can go fast, but uh, you know, 18th in EPA per rush, ninth in rushing success rate. Again, adjusted for kind of early season stuff. So Tennessee can run it all and really kind of confuse Florida, make Florida dependent on the situations, and then really ramp up the tempo. You could see this thing getting out of hand. I I can, and that's that's the part that. I don't want to see a, a, a town entirely apathetic toward football, but I think that's probably what happens if that happens. I was optimistic about Florida. I drank a little bit of the Kool-Aid before the Utah game. I don't think – like I'm going to need them to show it to me now. So I am going to take Tennessee to cover this one. Yeah, I think I'm agreeing with you there. It's at six and a half right now. I, I would go even up to a seven and a half here. Yeah, it was seven and a half, and, and so yeah. some folks got in on Florida and – uh, they, they were hearing some stuff I wasn't. So maybe maybe they know something we don't. But let us move to another game where the line has moved. Uh, backyard brawl, Pittsburgh at West Virginia. Uh, this one was, well, we got it on the graphic at, at West Virginia plus one and a half. I believe West Virginia is now favored by one and a half in this game. Uh, so, and it could flip again. <laughs> Who knows at this point? This this is essentially a pick em. Um This yeah. game last year... I Neil Brown has been just buried at West Virginia and games like the one last year are have to frustrate him to no end because that they, they they're moving down the field to essentially salt the game away. They throw a pass to Bryce Ford Wheaton where if he catches it and breaks a tackle, he's going to score. Instead, the ball goes right through his hands into the hands of a Pittsburgh defender for a pick six. And all of a sudden everything flips and Pittsburgh wins that game. But Neil Brown has to win this one. This is there's no there's probably no return and no chance. He's 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 facing long odds to keep the job anyway. But if he doesn't win this one, it's probably over. Yeah, it's it's rough because if you look at their West uh, West Virginia's um, non-con, I mean, right as Neil Brown is trying to fill in the, the void of of Holgerson and, and kind of rebuild. I mean, they're playing Penn State, they're playing uh, they're playing Pitt, bringing the backyard brawl back, and and just really really tough there when you have those two non-con games where some other people are playing 
you know, Southwest directional state and, and getting that win. So definitely rough for them there. West Virginia can run the ball decently. I like that offensive line. I think that um, maybe a little bit out ahead of our skis in terms of like the absolute quality of that offensive line relative more, more so to, uh, they're experienced and have played together a lot and they're good. So I think that goes a long way and they have a multiplicative factor. Um, you know, they're, they're 23rd in EPA per pass, 41st in EPA per rush, um, but 24th in rushing success rate. They want to run against Pitt. Um, and I think they'll try to, you know, minimize some of that variance and do what they do best. CJ Donaldson's a, a fine running back there. Uh, the passing game for Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh versus West Virginia. I, I really am not sure who I'm going to trust on either side of this. 128th in EPA per pass for Pitt. Looks like that one year was just, in fact, that one year blip. And uh, and then West Virginia's pass defense, 88th in EPA per play. So nothing really to write home there. I, I've been very low on Cincinnati. I think Pitt had their opportunities to win that game and didn't have that killer instinct. Um, I, I am loath to, to bet on Neil Brown here, though. That That's what really comes down to is I, I'm not sure that the Nard Dog has a uh, coaching advantage over Neil Brown, but I've got this four points in Pitt's favor. I'm going to trust the numbers here and the coaching, uh, and, and and I'm going to take Pitt to cover. So Phil Dracovic was battered by Cincinnati's defense, and there's no Dante Corleone on yeah. West Virginia's D-line. and. <sighs> Since like Cincinnati has some dudes up front that I don't think people realize Pitt also was doing some shuffling on the offensive line because of an injury. They, it, it sounds like they may do some more tinkering with that group. And if the, if you get the right group, then that gets better and he has more time to throw, but you know what? Screw it. I'm taking YOLO Neil Brown, every trick play, <laughs> every fourth down, you got to win this game, Neil, you got to win this one. <laughs> it would be very, look, you know that Neil Brown is looking around too and seeing Rich, uh, Rich Rod at Jacksonville State winning some games and thinking it'd be really nice to be Pitt right now. That'd go a long way for my mental mental health. Yeah. Yes. Got to do it. Got to do it. This is a must win. All right. We move to the site of college game day. And I do wonder if you'd asked the, the college game day crew nine months ago if they thought they would be going to Boulder for Colorado State in Colorado. <laughs> what would they have said? Uh, Colorado is a 22 and a half point favorite in this game. Uh, the, the total is 60 and a half Parker. I think Colorado might be able to hit that on their own. Yeah, that's that's one I gave out on the Bet US show today, and it was 59 and a half. Then it certainly moved, but I, I don't know if there's any reason one that Colorado can't score at will against this Colorado State defense, and two, it, it, Coach Prime knows about that the Heisman race involves Heisman moments, and here you've got game day. There you've got a big opportunity for both Travis Hunter and Sugar Sanders to put up astronomical numbers. Don't think he has any intention of taking his foot off the gas. So uh, definitely, definitely a strong lean to the over here. Um, even as we talk rationally about Colorado after that. Um, before I get into the Colorado specifically, I'll say Colorado State's making me sweat a little bit. I really liked a four and a half over regular season win total oh, no, no, for no. Colorado State. I thought with the offseason that um, they would have some opportunities to really get that offense going. We knew the personnel wasn't a match. The defense was sneakily okay last year. Looks like they're not taking that step. I'm chalking that one up as a loss already. Colorado State really does not feel like they can get uh, Horton the ball consistently enough that he is any kind of threat on offense, and they're very one-dimensional. So don't, don't see them challenging a Colorado defense that I'm still uncertain on, and I think that um, – Colorado's just going to be able to score left and right here. I always hate picking a big, uh, a big spread here. But if I'm going to take the over, I'm going to be okay taking the big spread and the and the favorite as well. So there's a look ahead factor here because obviously Colorado has to play at Oregon next week. But we, we talk about the spread. 
with an overmatched team. And I, I think Colorado State feels overmatched in this one. We don't know what Dion's going to do with a lead. Like he kept pouring it on against Nebraska. Like, does he does he put subs in to get them some experience? Does he like? I would assuming I would I would assume he will, but I don't know what he's going to do. You know, he may be trying to make a point with everybody there. So yep. it, this this one's tricky, but I, I will take them to cover, and I do think this game's going over uh, for sure uh, because they're they're pick your poison on offense, and I think they probably will try to spread the ball around quite a bit. Uh, it, it was it was interesting last week because Weaver got most of the action. They tried to force feed uh, Horn, but didn't he, he just couldn't get going in terms of yak yards, but. Dylan Edwards did not have as big a game catching the ball out of the backfield. I would imagine against a, t- a team like Colorado State, he'll have more success as well. So this will this will be one where I, I think we'll all watch game day to see the scene and all that and, and the, the interviews. I don't know how much of the game we're, we're going to end up watching. Yeah, it's- yeah, definitely. It's a uh, it's it's a lot there. Um, and and the the hype is, I mean, Prime is someone who's uniquely equipped to to deal with it and keep those guys locked in. What's interesting here from this angle, um, more so than uh, one again, just watching football and really like it. I'm watching Colorado. If Colorado comes out and wins this thing like 62 to three or something, I think there's going to be a ton of value on Oregon next week. I think mm-hmm. that we're going to get skis uh, out in front of our out in front of our skis there and uh there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for oregon to be an interesting play next week as well so keep an eye on that a lot of public money will be pouring in on colorado at that point you're right all right let's move to some some games that are just kind of interesting and i'll start with one where if we put up your your advanced metrics sheet kansas state at missouri there is value here uh Missouri is a four and a half point dog in this game, but according to to your score prediction, Kansas State is ten points better than Missouri. Yeah, I'm I'm very high on Kansas State in this matchup for for a couple of reasons. One, I like um, the the consistency on offense. Twenty sixth in EPA per play, they're thirtieth in passing, they're thirtieth in rushing. A really nice balanced approach to filling the the void left by Deuce Vaughn for Kansas State. They have Giddens and Ward, and they're kind of splitting them equally, letting them kind of. Uh, you know, do what they do best. Instead of trying to just replace Deuce Vaughn with another guy, they're they're getting some opportunities there as uh, you know to 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 let guys fill different roles. So I like that a lot. I like that they are um, really stopping drives. So one stat I really like is this echo rate, this quality possession rate. Like, mm-hmm. how often are you getting to a point where it's more likely that you score rather than you don't? And then when you get to that point. How are you scoring? So Kansas State ranks very highly in both of those on defense. They're 18th in uh, echo rate allowed. They're eighth in points per echo. So not only are they not allowing a lot of quality possessions, they are not letting you score very often on those two and kind of stymieing it. One thing I'm specifically worried about with Missouri's offense, I like the addition of Theo Weiss. He was on my dudes list for wide receivers. I think he could totally change the gravity and help them um, really – feature birding and, and be very interesting on offense. But when that field shortens up, I'm going to give the advantage to Kansas state there. So uh, I think that if Missouri comes to this uh, kicking some field goals, maybe making some bad fourth down decisions like they did against middle Tennessee state last week, they're going to face a very physical team. Who's going to play, you know, relatively mistake-free football. Uh, I think that Kansas state on the offensive line is going to dominate Missouri's defensive line. And I, I'm going to ride with the wildcats. This is one of my favorite plays this week. Yeah. So I, I have a much dumber reason for taking Kansas <laughs> State, it, it, I just I like the teams that have the best big people. I it, yeah. it's it's a very simplistic notion, but 
you know, Kansas State has a veteran offensive line. Cooper Beebe may be the best interior offensive lineman in the country. So that's the, I think, unless they're playing an elite defensive line, they're going to be fairly successful. Like against Texas, okay, then then they probably got a problem. But right. against almost everybody else they play, they're just going to be better up front. And I feel like that that buys you a lot of goodwill. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And it gives you a lot of leeway, especially on offense. I like Will Howard. I have joked that Will Howard has a PhD in beating TCU. He's had a great career at Kansas State. It's been a funny career, objectively. Good for him. That's awesome. I don't want him in third and long situations. I don't want him in obvious pass situations. I want him to make the plays to keep us ahead of the chains. That offensive line is going to give him a lot of room to breathe. I want to see a little more Avery Johnson. They've been sprinkling him in, and I don't think Will Howard's in any danger. But there's a reason Avery Johnson was a five-star. and The future is now. It's, it, is, it is now, yeah. Yeah, so it, I, I, I'm with you on this. I think Kansas State covers. Uh, it, it is a, a fascinating game. But maybe not quite as fascinating as the one where – let's first let's play a little game of what would the total in this game been three years ago. Georgia Southern at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a 19.5-point favorite this year. 64.5 is your total. A Georgia Southern Wisconsin game three years ago, the total is 42. Yeah, this is absurd. Um, I, I have a stat that I track, Andy, that's just rush rate over expected. So I take down distance yard line game score uh, and say, all right, how often does the average team run in this situation? Uh, Georgia Southern is 11. They're rushing thir- or they're rushing 13.6 percentage points less than the average team across situations. Wisconsin, 52nd. They're rushing 4.1 percentage points less. That's insane. We are looking at a new Wisconsin. We knew with Phil Longo, uh, a guy who wants to run it. If you give him the run, he's going to take it. But man, we are going to see so much passing here. This total is, is, is absolutely hilarious because you've got two teams that have just dramatically changed styles in the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and so Washington State was taking away the run, and it, it looked like it took Wisconsin a little while to adjust to, hey, they're going to let us throw on these guys. But the, the other thing that, that's missing with Wisconsin right now that I'm sure Luke Fickle will correct is speed on the outside. There were so many plays against Washington State, especially in the second half, where if you have some of the receivers even that he had at Cincinnati, those are touchdowns and not tackled you know, right where they catch the ball. Yeah, so the, the yards after catchability is really not there. Um, looking at Tanner Mordecai under pressure as well, 28.6% completion. Um, it, it really feels like they don't have the athletes for when a quarterback can kind of move, can a guy get open and make something happen? They don't have that extra gear. I'm guaranteeing that Phil Longo walked into that wide receiver room and was like, wait, where, where are the dudes? Um, they don't yeah. have they don't have the athletes there right now. So um, yeah, definitely something to watch going forward with with Wisconsin how they recruit and how it changes. But um, I, I you know I, I, the the total here is absolutely absurd. I, I really would lean towards Wisconsin. Good opportunity for them to be more talented than an opponent. Work some work some uh, the mechanics of their offense out here. Um, but they they really are suffering. I, I want to see can they get a first option? Can they get a clear identity on offense here against a team that they should outmatch? Another one of those, how did this game get scheduled games? And, and the answer, simply enough, is this team wanted to play in this town and let its fans come there and, and recruit there. and have. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The presence there. Alabama at USF. The Crimson Tide are 31 and a half point favorites. They are opening the upper decks at Raymond James Stadium. It'll be like a Bucks game, not like a Bulls game. And it'll probably be about the same amount of red in the stands as at a Bucks game. So, <laughs> uh, this is a get-right game for Alabama. I'm curious if we see more than one quarterback, or do they they just try to work the kinks out with Jalen Milrow? Yeah, it's it's hard. I kind of wondered if they weren't, you know, letting the backup maybe win the job as a vote of confidence. But I don't, I don't think I don't think anyone's coming. I don't think the cavalry's there. I think that Milrow is what they've got. You saw some of Tommy Reese's body language up in the. Um, up in the booth and and man it just didn't look like they were on the same page realistically Milrow was okay he was he was not great but he did uh make those two passes that were just absolutely bewildering and and plays you cannot make uh i i've i've affably uh called them the dink and 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 bomb offense uh and Milrow, you know I want to chuck it deep to an athlete or I want to get it to my guy quickly. And, and Texas really forced some of those middle of the field throws, those 10 to 20 yard throws that, that Milrow doesn't really need to make. So I think you have an opportunity here with, with USF really let's, let's iron out the kinks of that. Let's know when people adjust, how do we respond? Um, and then also let's get Milrow some reps in that middle of the field. I wouldn't be surprised to see him play three quarters here and just get a ton of reps. USF on the other side, man, I, I, I like Jeff Scott. I think he's a great offensive mind and, um, could just couldn't figure out the well, defensive side of the ball and yeah. Alex Golish coming in same kind of situation. Great offensive mind. Can we figure out the defensive side of the ball? Can USF play any semblance of defense? I think you're not looking for a capital W win this weekend, but you're looking for a lowercase W multiple wins. Uh, USF currently 84th in EPA per play on defense um, and, and 91st against the rush. So uh, their, their best hope is really, can we stop a little bit of the rush and, and stand up to this passing defense? Um, I don't know if I trust Alabama in the letdown spot after the game, uh, but I, I want to see more out of USF's defense where I could put any money on them. We got to get to – I, I think Alabama's going to cover in this game. Um, okay. We got to get to the game that the people in the chat want to get to. They've been, they've been arguing about this for a while. We've got, we got Antoine. Georgia went from having the weakest schedule. Now Carolina is going to beat them. <laughs> and then – Breaking parallels. Oh no, he's talking about the, the the Colorado, but they've they've been arguing about South Carolina and Georgia the entire time. And so oh, here, here's Andrew. Interesting UGA versus Carolina. Georgia's looked unmotivated the first two weeks. Carolina has weapons. Expect to see the real UGA again, but never know. Sometimes it can be hard to flip the switch. So South Carolina goes to Athens. Georgia's 27 and a half point favorite. Parker, Georgia's started slowly the first two weeks offensively defensively they're fine uh but they have yeah. started slowly now the offense got got figured out pretty like in the second in the second quarter last week but that's the part I, i'm curious about because if they if they start like that against south carolina this will be a game for at least three quarters yeah ab absolutely um i i think the way i'm thinking about this game is andy if i gave you south carolina team total seven and a half are you going to take the over on that? Yes. Um, 
And, and I think that that's really, it is like if South Carolina can score and make this a rock fight, they get into that Beamer ball kind of, Hey, we're, we're going to score uh, multiple offensive scores is what South Carolina needs here. They, they really need to not just rely on, um, on that special teams play. They need to take advantage of those, but not rely. They, they, they really need to rely more on the down to down business of moving the football. Their offense is 27th in EPA per play, but their defense 127th right now. Uh, and particularly the run game has been not, not as effective. Uh, again, these numbers have regressed to the mean. They'll, 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 they'll separate as we go, but they're 111th in rushing success right now, 60th in EPA per rush. So just have not really separated out of the middle of the pack and looked a little worse than average in rushing success. Got to get some space off of Spencer Rattler to make sure that he doesn't have to force the throw let Spencer Rattler make the throw don't make him have to make the throw I think that's a very subtle distinction but matters a whole lot for South Carolina that being said I do believe in the Georgia motivation switch I think they flip it on in the in the uh, hallway before certain games and other games they don't flip it on at all uh, I expect this to be low scoring Georgia to get up and sit on it do I expect Georgia to get up in the almost to the thirties and then sit on it and, and totally cover. Uh, I, I think I'm going to believe that they're going to get the offensive firepower to get this done. And they're going to stop South Carolina from moving the ball consistently on the ground, forcing Spencer Rattler into some bad situations. So I'm going to go with the Bulldogs here. I am with you. And I, here's why I saw what North Carolina did to South Carolina's offensive line. Spencer Rattler was running for his life. Most of that game actually played very well to only get sacked nine times. And so Georgia's going to be able to do that if they want to. Georgia doesn't always want to sack you. Sometimes Georgia wants to disrupt you and make you make mistakes. I do think they're, I think they're going to care this game. I, I think they will, they will be interested yep. and they will blow them out. So I'm going to take Georgia to cover. And I'm sorry to all the Gamecocks in the chat, but Matt in the chat is very happy to hear this because he's a huge Georgia fan. He's even got an REM album as his cover, as his, uh, his nice. avatar committing, so. committing to the bit there. I like it. That, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Automatic for the people to sign at Weaver D's chicken. All right. Let's go to another non-conference matchup in the South. Minnesota going to North Carolina. Tar Heels are a seven and a half point favorite. They barely survived against Appalachian state last week. Obviously the Tez Walker thing remains in the news, but unless they decide to just defy the NCAA, he's not playing. So this is what they've got. I, I don't know, Parker, that the first game I felt like kind of fooled me into thinking that they are going to be just maniacally pressuring quarterbacks all year. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I'm not sure Minnesota's offense is multidimensional enough to do anything about it. Yeah, so that's that's really where it comes down to is is uh, how much do you believe that, that North Carolina's defense has taken a step forward? I'm very, very reluctant to believe that. I, I think some of the fundamentals from last year, they, they really got by on the skin of their teeth, seeing that need overtime again to take care of in uh, of App State, not a great sign for me. 122nd in an EPA per play on defense there, but first in EPA per play on offense. So can you score enough to kind of stay out of the um, – to distance yourself from a Minnesota offense that I wouldn't call explosive? They might be a little bit efficient there. Um, they're, you know – 60th in rushing success rate, but not very, not very explosive in the, in the run game, 126th overall. So Minnesota going to need to see a little bit of a higher rushing floor out of them consistently. Um, but North Carolina's defense, I'm really, really not super excited about them. That performance replicating, especially a Minnesota team is going to be a little beefier on the offensive line, a little bit more consistent on the offensive line. I'm also looking at the distribution of targets here. You've got, um, 
Pesar and Blackwell, you know, 28 of 58 targets. They are really, really concentrated and they're really, really making up for Josh Downs, you know, a guy who had a 30% target share two years in a row and really bailed them out. I think that if Minnesota can get a little bit of pressure, they can get Drake May uncomfortable enough that he doesn't necessarily have the targets that he needs to extend drives uh, consistently. North Carolina on offense, uh, excuse me, on um Going totally backwards there. Sorry, Minnesota's defense. That's okay. I will. I will. I will help everybody. Uh, you just saw an image of Ethan Kaliak Manis on the screen, and everybody, nobody wants to say Kaliak Manis, but it is pronounced exactly the way it is spelled: Kaliak Manis, Kaliak Manis, Kaliak Manis. There we go. <laughs> that's that's great. I got to get the tip of my tongue. Uh, Brad Powers was on the show the other day and just railed it. Like just absolutely got it right on the first try. And I was like, shoot, I should have looked at the pronunciation guide. But um, yeah, I, I, again, Minnesota creating some opportunities really well. Fifth and echo rate, fourth and in, in, in finishing drives there. Um, I think they'll be a little more balanced. I have them losing but covering on the road here. So I like their consistency, I think, on offense. Uh, you you got to get a learning curve for those new quarterbacks and, uh, you know, every game get a little bit better. Uh, so UNC still still winning this one at home, but I'm, I'm going to take uh, Minnesota to uh, to cover here. I'm going to take the Tar Heels to cover because I think they got a little full of themselves after that South Carolina game. They had, call, they had game day in town, a uh, huge audience, watched them, you know, dominate against South Carolina everybody's telling them how good they are. And then Appalachian state, you know, how those games go, whether it's Appalachian state, East Carolina, like when they get to play at the, the other team's home stadium, they like to come in and spoil things. So I think that probably has a lot to do with what happened. So I'm going to take North Carolina to bounce back and cover on this one. Uh, one more before we get to our extra point, but the, this one is Washington and Michigan State. Obviously, Michigan State has been in the news all week because of the Mel Tucker stuff. We don't need to get into that here. But we can get into Harlan Barnett's the acting head coach. Mark D'Antonio comes in to kind of be the steadying hand as the assistant head coach. It's interesting to me, Parker, because I do think Michigan State is better this year than they were last year. You're not taking any play caller out of the equation with Mel Tucker not being there. So essentially, we're, I, I don't know that we get a very different performance than we would have gotten. The question is, can they stop Michael Penix Jr. and those great receivers? Yeah, I, I mean, I, to some extent, obviously, there's day-to-day -day stuff to do and there's game planning and there's culture and all that. But like, you really, you, if you're going to lose a guy, you don't want to lose a play, a play caller there. So um, cer certainly um, makes it a little bit better for Michigan State than if it was, you know, a play caller. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you got Romeo, you got McMillan there uh, for Washington, who have 49.4% of targets. Uh, both of those guys over three yards per route run. Super, super explosive. Sixth in offensive EPA per play for Washington there. Eighth in EPA per pass. So uh, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the two guys, uh, the two quarterbacks with the highest coverage snaps um, for for, Michi or for, for uh, Michigan State. And you've got um, Brantley with a 64.2. You've got the safeties, Mangum and Spencer with a 59 and a 58 PFF grade. I think we saw against Boise, Washington, you get stifled a little bit at the beginning. They're going to keep coming after you. They're going to keep throwing it deep. And I'm not sure that Michigan State can sustain a defense against that barrage. Uh, Michael Penix, though, only pressured on nine dropbacks this uh, this season. So very, very interesting that um, – 
their offensive line is as, as looks as good as advertised. Again, you adjust that for competition. The other side of the, the, the deal that I'm looking at here, uh, Washington's defense, not great. Currently 76th in EPA per play allowed. Kim, when he's pressured for Michigan State, a 55%, not percentage point, 55% drop off in his completion percentage there. So can mm. be absolutely disrupted, just like you'd expect from a, from a, a new starter there. So uh, I'm leaning towards Washington. I've got this number about 12 and a half, 13, right, right, really close to where the, the line opened. Um, but I'm going to lean Washington. I think that just the cumulative effect of that passing game is really going to wear down Michigan State. Nate Carter has been very impressive for Michigan State so far, but he feels like they're they're really only true offensive weapon right now. Perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps Noah Kim can find some of those receivers, and they can like imagine if Keon Coleman was on this team still. That that, that you put 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 him in that mix, and all of a sudden everything changes. But the transfer portal giveth and taketh away, as Michigan State has learned. So uh, I am actually going to take Michigan State to cover here. I don't think they're going to win the game, but I do think. This is one of those situations where they galvanize, everybody gets together, they play a little bit above where they probably should, and they make it close. So I will take them to cover, but not to win. And Parker, that brings us to our extra point, which is just about points. Uh, we always pick the Iowa total. The drive for 325 is a very important thing on this show. Uh, right now, Brian Ferentz is six points off the pace. Uh, they, they have not averaged 50 points. They've not averaged 25 points a game. They've scored 44 points so far this season. Uh, the total in this game, Western Michigan, Iowa, 42 and a half. Do we think, one, that this goes over? And do we think, two, that Brian Ferentz is on pace? I have multiple theories about this situation and whether that contract is – um, a feature or a bug of the Iowa offense or whether whether Kirk friends frankly can be boxed into to doing that at all but I'll leave those for for Twitter and for late night here I have Iowa and uh, Western Michigan total at about 40 40.5 points uh, which is just abysmal just awful but the Iowa defense is legitimately good and the Iowa offenses again can't do it I'm not going to trust Iowa to score 30 31 points at all here I'm going to go with an under uh, which means that I don't think Iowa can cover just in terms of sheer arithmetic yeah, I, I'm going under two because I always take Iowa to go under until they prove otherwise. And I, I got Iowa fans saying, no, 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 the offense is really different this year. But but Kirk takes his foot off the gas because he's very concerned. But that's also true. They're not lying when they say that. Like Kirk also could put them in a situation where they don't go over. They yeah. don't make the drive for 325. But I'll be honest, if they win 10 games and don't average 25 points a game, He's still going to be Brian's still going to be employed. I'm telling you that right now. I don't care what the contract says. Yep. Yep. I, I think, I think I agree with that. And, and yeah, the issue with this, and I won't go on a diatribe or anything, but like the issue with it is, okay, you can do that against teams. You're more talented there, right? Like mm -hmm. you can do that against certain teams. You can do that against Western Michigan. Can't beat Ohio state consistently like that. You need the random flute game for that. You can't compete for a national competition with that. Uh, you know, what, except once every what, 10 years at this point. And so that's really, that's really the big issue is yeah, you can absolutely do whatever you want to a bad college football team. And uh, if that works out for you, God, God love them. Hope they win 10 games and don't score 25 a game because that's the funniest outcome. It absolutely is. Parker, this was amazing. I know you got, you got bedtime with the kids to get to, but thank you so much. This was awesome. I really appreciate you having me on, Andy. Great to chat with you. All right. That is Parker Fleming. That was a lot of fun.
I got a feeling that he's going to get more picks right than me. We only disagreed on a couple, but I think he's, I think he's going to beat me on this one. This it, it, he just, he's so sure. And he think about this. He got bored in college and automated systems to create all these amazing advanced stats previews every week. Like I wouldn't even know where to start. So that's the type of brain power we're dealing with, but that was a lot of fun. Hope everybody makes their picks. Hit that FanDuel app. Enjoy. You can go with me. You can fade me. It won't hurt my feelings. I understand, but it, it will be a lot of fun. This is the weekend where weird stuff can happen. Join us on Thursday. We have a very large man scheduled to join us, and I think you're really, really going to enjoy him. He plays for a, a team that had a really big win last weekend. We'll give you that hint. It's been a lot of fun. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.